Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living, where we remind you that such is the nature of life, that all it wants and all it asks is the opportunity to appear. You're the opportunity. So am I, and so it is. And that idea of life is the idea of the infinite, of God, of spirit, of whatever word you want to use in that space. And, and it's just wanting to appear as you, and it's already doing that because you're here. You're here in person, you're here online, you're here in wherever you happen to be at this moment. So we welcome you. Our center is dedicated to the idea that this, this energy, this one power, this one life can be used and, and we can improve how we live it, by how we understand it and by how we change our minds and change our lives and change our beliefs. So whoever you are, if you are on the planet, if you're, even if you're off the planet and you're listening in, then you are an expression of the divine, regardless. And therefore, we honor you, we recognize you, we celebrate your life, whatever shape it has taken. We recognize our hurts and pains, whatever they have been. What? Well, okay, don't exit, ignore that sign. Ah. <sighs> Life is fun, right? You just, this kind of fits our talk today. You know, stuff just happens sometimes. So there you go. We had, it, we had it sorted and it's unsorted. So anyway, that's who we are. That's what we celebrate. And we are here to celebrate and recognize you. Now, there's a lot more to this idea of the science of mind than just that one idea speaking that, um, that saying that, you know, such as it's only one power. What does that mean? How does that, how does that play out? How do we live it out? That gets answered easily and freely by so many ideas and teachings and principles and laws and spiritual understandings that we take forward. And that, by the way, is my grandson who is... Uh, he's not on camera. Okay, you can't see him. Good, don't. That's great. <laughs> He's fixing the signs. So knowing that this is, is what we teach and what we're about, we do this by, uh, by recognizing a declaration of principles or a set of principles that, that honor this teaching and that carry this teaching forward and that we each look at and think about, is this true for me? It's not so much about adhering to this as a, um, a credo that you have to do, but more about, do I believe this? Is this a way for me to gather and understand this one power? So I would like for you to hear from our practitioners and some others on what this one power is. I believe. I believe. I believe in one God. One absolute power and first cause to all things. I believe that this power is perfect love. And creates out of the desire to express love. I believe all thought is creative and how I choose to think creates my personal experience. I believe in the unity of all life. And within that power of individual thought. Forever unfolding. I believe. I believe. I believe in eternal goodness. The eternal goodness of God. The eternal loving kindness. 
and the eternal givingness of God to all. And so it is. And so it is. And so it is. And so it is. So we mentioned practitioners. Practitioners are folks who have studied this teaching, who know how to use it for themselves, who know how to use it for other people, and to bring change and growth and greater, greater living, living more in line with the desire of life. So today we have one of our practitioners with us to share some thoughts and ideas and then lead us in a spiritual mind treatment or affirmative prayer. Barbara, it's all yours. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bob. You're looking so spiffy today. I absolutely love that coat that you've got on, and I understand our wonderful April is responsible for that. April, way to go. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, those that do celebrate, and of course, if not, wishing you good times anyway. I'm glad to be here this morning with you guys, uh, Cyberland and here in the uh, center as well, and to be able to talk to you about emotional stories we tell ourselves. So during this holiday time, we tend to think about family, going home, and there are emotional stories that we have attached to going home. I want to read to you the um, definition of victim um, coming from the dictionary. It says, a victim is someone who has suffered as a result of someone else's actions or beliefs or as a result of an unpleasant circumstance. A victim is defined as a person who has suffered physical or emotional harm, property damage, or someone lost as a result of a crime. So there are times when we are legitimately a victim. This means things are out of our hands. We're not responsible, uh, particularly as children. Uh, we have no control over those things that happen to us. And sometimes we are made to feel helpless. And characteristics, um, they just, people that believe they don't have support, there's a lack of confidence, they can struggle with life decisions. So there are times when this is really a legitimate. So I want to share with you this morning just, um, uh, I guess, my experience in that I was raised a Catholic, and as a Catholic, you are pretty much taught just how to suffer. So it's just how to be a victim. Uh, for me, before coming here to the teaching, the Catholic teaching, and it's called catechism, and we were indoctrinated every morning. We had catechism classes. It was about that teaching being the right teaching, meaning all of the teaching, wrong, wrong, wrong. So if you don't believe what I believe, then you're going to make me a victim. The need to be right. 
So the catechism teaching, again, was a teaching. This is the right teaching. Everybody else's teaching is wrong. So that becomes part of your belief. That becomes part of who you are. And of course, there is uh, demanding that you believe what they say. And there's an emotional behind the demand. So it causes you, again, to take on this teaching, and now you are that teaching. When I came to the center, all of that was very challenging to me, the way that the center teaches, because I am now accountable for my belief, my behavior, my ideas. And through the teaching, through the classes, I come to learn there's a universal law that is available to us to use. So as you are going to be visiting your family, your friends, or, or not, maybe you're just at home, just remember the source of love is the universe. The source of peace is the universe. The source of belonging is the universe. The source of home is the universe. So I challenged you to look at the emotional stories that you're telling yourself throughout the holidays and make sure your emotions are bringing you happiness. Make sure your emotions are bringing you joy. Make sure your emotions are bringing you goodness, healing, happiness. The choice is ours. So I would like for us to come together and we will join in spirit in knowing that there is but the one universe in and of itself. This one universe is all things. It is the thing that manifests all. I am one with this wonderful divinity. I am one with this great manifestation. I am one with this being, I am one with this wonderful source. And it is, it is in this knowing from the oneness, from the magnificent, from the love, from the peace, I too am all that it is. And in this knowing, I can offer up love, peace, joy, and happiness. It is in this spirit of the oneness. It is in the spirit of the universe. As a co-creator, I can create the experience that I so desire. I create an experience of love for myself. I create an experience of peace for myself. I create an experience of abundance for myself. I create an experience of belonging for myself. I create an experience of joy, and it is this knowing, it is the empowerment of the oneness, it is the support and the givenness of the oneness that I am so grateful to know and have this knowledge. And for this, I am grateful, and so it is. Let me be what I was created. I love that. You know, there are a lot of versions of this new thought teaching. Some are, some are, I mean, they're just different. 
And in some, of the, some versions of this teaching, we would say that instead of addressing each other based on what we see and what's real and what the experiences we're having are real in terms of real in time, space, and, and what's happening in our lives, but we would only want to address who you're really here to be. So we'd only do address you from the divine higher perspective. Kennedy Schultz used to tell a story about that. He was my teacher, and, and I still, he's still alive and well in here somewhere talking. And um, one of the stories he told was that in another group that the, um, this couple, Mary and John, were really active and showing up every Sunday, and, and, and they, um, they, they um, started missing. John started missing some Sundays, and Mary would be there, but John wouldn't be there. And so they, her friends came over and said, you know, where's John? Well, John's not feeling so well today. Oh, no, that's not so. He just, he just thinks he doesn't feel good. Well, the next week, Mary's there by herself again. She says, you know, or her friends say, where's John? And well, John's really sick. Been sick for a while. No, he's not really sick. He just thinks he is. And then, then the Mary didn't come, didn't come back for several weeks. And when she did come back, she, they asked her, so where's John? Well, John thinks he's not on the planet anymore. John thinks he's died. And that can be a harsh painful kind of thing to say to someone when they've just lost a friend or a partner or someone they love to be to be hit with this idea that it's just in your head and you know i love what you were saying about victimhood victimhood is a real thing that happens to people and we have choices as we move through that about what to do with it we can carry it forward into our lives forever and always see the world as being a, a dangerous place that's going to victimize us. Or we can rise above that or find new ways of thinking or change our minds in a way that allows us to have freedom and power and goodness and become that which the spirit within us wants to become and wants to do and find our, our lives as prosperous and healthy and real and good. So as we face these realities, one of the things that's so important to me in the Science of Mind textbook, and when I first read it, it was what kept me coming back, is what we do is we look any discordant fact in the face, anything that shouldn't be, that just seems like it's wrong, that seems like people are getting hurt, seems like we are dis disconnected somehow from each other, any discordant fact straight on in the face and no better. We look at it until we know that it is more than that, until we can see the bigger picture, see the picture underneath, come to some understanding. That's our purpose, that's our goal, and that's a big part of what makes a difference in our lives. See, we have to get a, a perspective where eventually we can see our lives and the lives of others from the perspective of the infinite. That amazing broad view that sees all things as good, that sees all things as right, and sees all things as being done for us and not to us, and being done in order to guide us, for us to find the guidance to get to a greater, higher understanding of ourselves. 
at this time on this planet, in this world, and in this life. So as Barbara said, this is the week we start looking at home. We start looking at holidays. We start looking at, you know, and there was a time in my life when I was younger that this is the talk where I started talking about how do you deal with home. But then I remember other people still dealing with that. My home's long gone. So I deal with home by the home I created here. And, and you know, I, I love to say, I used to, I used to work in um, alcohol and drug rehab programs, and I did the spiritual counseling in some of those. And I always said to the, to the people, uh, you know, everybody comes from a dysfunctional family. And some people got very upset with me. Then I flipped it over and said, and everyone comes from a very functional family. And they got upset with me. Because both things are true. And they seem to be contradictory, but they're really not. Because in every family, in every situation of home, in every situation we have grown up and lived through, there has been a level of function and a level of dysfunction. My family was great at protecting ourselves from anybody else. Weren't so great at protecting ourselves from each other, however. So all of this kind of stuff, you know, we were great at putting food on the table and making sure it all looked good, even though perhaps inside it wasn't always so pretty. So I'm not so interested in going down that dysfunctional road, although I say that to say whatever you're dealing with, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever past is there, it's significant, and it means something, and it deserves your attention long enough to heal it and to move on beyond it. There's a, a condition now that was, was named in 1995, which was called ACE, Adverse Childhood Experience. And the CDC, along with Kaiser Permanente National, worldwide perhaps, <coughs> did a whole study and came up with this thing that said this is a a real condition and is the cause to m one of the primary causes of illness and death were child adverse childhood conditions and they categorized them and went through all the different kinds of things <coughs> before we had that title I was working as a therapist and and working with people who've been through all sorts of things like that why you know, we're teaching about goodness, about life, about oneness. Why? Ernest Holmes answers that question in, his, in his, one of his books. You'll see it on the screen. Why all the suffering, sorrow, and pain? Why has tragedy accompanied the journey of man, and I would say humanity? There's no other way through which true individuality can evolve. Now, that may take a little thinking about, and I hope, if nothing else, that will spur you to think about that. Because if we are, are, do not have the freedom to evolve by discovering the good and the bad and the pain and the suffering and the joy and the happiness of our lives, then we don't, we don't find out who we are. We just would be automatons or automatons, one of those, you know, automatically walking in lockstep with the idea of goodness and truth and never have a chance to even question it so we would lose our individuality. But in a perfect world where we are the embodiment of the infinite with all of its characteristics, including its individual freedom 
to manifest and to create universes, we have to have that element of ourselves too. And so all of the hurt and pain, one of the beautiful things I remember him saying is, you know, the same law that we use to create goodness and joy and wonder is the one that we also use without knowing it to create our own suffering, pain, and hurt. Now, we don't create all those things that happen to us every time. Believe me, I don't really believe that. There, are real vic- there is real victimization that goes on. But we do, we do create how it continues to play out in our lives. Hmm. So we've been talking <coughs> the last two Sundays, three Sundays, about the hero's journey, wonderful stories about that that, that help us to start to look at how do we understand, understand and define ourselves in relationship to the bigger picture? Or am I just wandering around out here not knowing what in the world I'm part of? Well, what we know is that we have consciousness that we are part of. We have these conscious groups that we are part of, and we have cultural beliefs and cultural consciousness that we pick up and take on. Reverend Cynthia, two weeks ago, did a beautiful job with the the whole idea of the hero's journey. And the most obvious one of those is is the uh, Wizard of Oz. And, you know, I've done some group things where we each identify which one of those characters most represent us, and then we play it out and do some things with it. It's a lot of fun. But the point of this is the hero's journey is, it starts with some kind of challenge, some kind of trauma, some kind of interruption, and then the person begins to work towards moving forward and getting over it. And they gather to them, we gather to ourselves, people who will support us, who can walk with us, who become our, 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 our gang, our tribe, our people, and walk through us as we face our demonic whatever they may be, or our dragon, goes the story, in this case, Wicked Witch. But they're different things. The, the hero story, the hero journey is just so much a part of our culture, especially in the United States, where we are, we are all about overcoming and becoming more and then finding the treasure at the end of the road once you, over, you, know, once you face the demon or the dragon or whoever, you get the girl or you get the the treasure or you get to go back home as it as is the case in, in uh, Wizard of Oz and there's a sense of homecoming at the end of that story for everyone well I want to tell you there's some other journeys that may not aren't don't all match that hero's journey and many women particularly have talked to me about you know I just don't identify with a hero's journey it sounds like a guy story it's a man's story, not a woman's story. I think it's interesting that Wizard of Oz has, you know, the female lead. But there are other stories. Mystic journey is one that can be really looked at and documented in terms of our internal cultural stories. That's the person who awakens to this heightened sense of reality from the very beginning. I've heard, you hear the stories that I had one one preschooler in my center in Tampa, in Florida, who used to talk about what it was like before he, before he was born and what God was like. And I mean, this was this, this little kid 
Nobody coached him in any of that. He just started talking about it. And he, and he grew on older into a real deep awareness of this mystical connection with people on the other side and with, with God and with life. And it, his journey was very different because then he, had to, he, had to, he went through a period of doubting the validity of what he'd said and seen along with the people around him sometimes. But he, he moved through that, and then with time, that journey means you find the teachers to support you and help you understand what's happening to you. This is a shamanic journey, which most primitive cultures have, which is very different from the hero stories, because it's an early awareness that you're different, that you don't match the rest of people. And the way you hear people talking, perhaps in your family or otherwise, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't match, it doesn't fit. And the, sh the shamanic then begins to dream of inner powers and sacrifices. And in fact, many times a, a child in, on that shamanic path or an adult on that shamanic path ends up being the go-between, that's supporting their families, that's supporting and, and carrying the brunt of the pain for other people. They're often called scapegoats in certain families and certain systems. They dream of this inner power, and they feel outcast and other. And they can't quite explain it sometimes. Many, many, many gay people in our culture are on that shamanic journey. Because from the very young age, they feel different and estranged, and yet they don't have words for it. They don't know how to claim it. Because it's too little and too young to be about sexuality. It's about identity. And so, so, you know, they carry it forward. And it scares people, as we saw, I just heard about last night in <coughs> Southern, or Southern Colorado, a very conservative area where some folks were really hurt, killed. The, uh, another journey another, that people take is called the artist's journey. And the artist's journey is interesting because from a very young age or from whenever someone gets on that artist's journey, they start seeing the world in shapes and forms. And they see colors in a different way. Mean, they mean something different. They see life in a different way. They begin to, to uh, recognize that um, the, the pictures that other people see are shapes and forms to them that, are very, that can be very different. And then the artwork becomes all-consuming. It's like you've got to do it. can't not do it. You've got to be in there doing it. And it takes you right out of time and space. You're just there with the art and moving with it and going with it. And the beautiful, powerful, and important thing with all of those journeys is that the, the solution to whatever the challenges are, whatever the, the interruptions are, are the social connections that people build. Whether you're the hero with the tin man and the scarecrow following you around, or whether you're the, the shaman who discovers some people who also think like you do, who can validate some of those shamanic senses and feelings and recognitions or the mystic who, who finds words and language and, and a group to be part of, or the artist who 
gloms up and gets, to, gets connected with other artists. And then their creativity can flourish and who they are as spirit, as God, as life begins to come forward and come out and they can begin to grow and heal and move into a whole other place of being, another way of being. All of those journeys in common are about recognizing, facing the challenges, whatever they are, and then moving beyond them. We do that with what we think, what we believe, and by facing our fears. You know, fear, false evidence of fearing real. Joseph Campbell says this. He says, the cave that you fear holds the treasure you seek. And that just really annoys me. You know, the things that I just don't want to look at and get closer to really do have the answers for me or the, or the treasure for the next, next part of my growth and the next part of my, my moving forward. I just assume it were somewhere else. But it's not. It's that story where the idea that this, you know, the, the divine was trying to decide where to hide, hide the spirit of God and they figured the best place to hide it was inside human beings because nobody else, that would be the last place they'd think to look. And yet it's the first place we teach that it is and belongs and it's here and it's now. Carl Jung added to this and said, I am not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. Psychi you know, psychiatrist from the last century already talking and seeing that. And here we are bringing it forward. The, the ideas from Joseph Campbell are ancient as long as, as long as we've been doing work and trying to understand ourselves and bring ourselves into life. Hmm. So it's so important because we, we form these social groups and we find our, our peers and we connect. And in that process, it's our love of those folks. It allows us and, and to motivates us to move to the next level. If we're just doing it by ourselves, most of us would just kind of sit there. I remember back when I was a Baptist and the example was always used about if you took a, you know, if you've got a fire going and you pull one of the coals out and set it off by itself, it'll, it'll eventually lose its fire. And that was about a whole different thing. But in, reali in reality, it's true. You know, children need to be touched and nurtured and connected with in order to thrive. Adults need to be touched and nurtured and connected with in order to thrive. It's part of, of, of life itself. We are not born in isolation. We are part of a river of life that has gone on as long as there's been life of any kind on this planet that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries from mother to mother to mother to mother and to mother and to mother and will keep on as long as there is motherhood and life and, and, it, and it works and goes on. So we, so we are tapping into that when we connect with one another and it's in that connection and loving one another that love does what it does best. It transforms. It transforms us. It transforms our beliefs. It allows us to go into the scary cave and find the treasure or face the wicked witch or whatever the word is, or part of that is that you've got, got going in your life. Carl Jung also um, took, coined a phrase, wounded healer. 
And I think that's another journey. I think it's part of the shamanic journey, but it's, it's something where sometimes those of us who've been hurt the most have the best idea of what other people need in order to heal and have the best facility within us for supporting and connecting and holding up. So we become wounded healers. Now, that doesn't mean the wound is always going to be fresh and open by any means. It means it's healed enough that we can connect and be with those that we wish to be with and allow and support each other in growing so that we aren't just doing this by ourselves. Hmm. And what happens with that then is that everywhere can become home. And I love, the, I love the subtitle of today's talk, and that is H-O-M-E. Healing opportunities manifest everywhere. I would get a walkabout. I call it that. It wasn't. I was, it was a driveabout <coughs> some years ago where I just followed the front of my car wherever it wanted to go or wherever I wanted to point it. And I had some time between centers that I was serving to do that. And, and I was fully present in the present. Where do I need to go? Where do I want to, to go today? And I will tell you that the opportunities for life to, to be, be right there for healing opportunities to show up. I wasn't sure I wanted to keep teaching or, or being a minister. And I landed at the Grand Canyon and got stuck there because I didn't have the money to go anywhere else. So... I worked there, and the next thing I know, somebody in the, in the dining hall is talking to me about universe, young kid. So we started talking about the universe, and he starts talking about principles very similar to science of mind. So in order to have more time, we said after our shifts over today, we both worked in the dining hall, cafeterias, and you know we'll just meet out and sit on the rim of the Grand Canyon and talk about this. Well, four days later, I had 25 kids in their early 20s, sitting on rocks, hanging off the side of the canyon, talking about spirituality, universal living, universal life. I healed that part of me that wondered if I was capable and competent to do what I'd been doing. That was done. It was over. Healing opportunities manifest everywhere. And wherever that's happening is home. You see, we discover that we are more than our history. We are more than what anyone else has said we are. We're more than a total of our experiences. Love itself is who and what we are, and we move from that place of recognition into a realization that love is the very essence of our lives, and therefore our lives are the essence of the infinite's life because love is another name for God and has been for a very long time. So in the time I have left, I want to jump topics a little bit because a lot of people are concerned right now, not just in our center, but in centers all across the country and, this, and churches all across the country, that since COVID and since things have seemed to be challenging and we're getting lots of issues and problems, a, lots of, a lot of churches have empty buildings, a lot of places are, are struggling to keep going and how do they do this? And it occurred to me after listening to John last week um, that there's an ancient history and tradition within 
human experience and human consciousness of the remnant. And the remnant shows up first in the Old Testament and in, in Jewish scriptures. It shows up in other stories where a group of people become, come together and they create something wonderful and it grows and it gets established in a bigger, bigger way. And then something happens and comes along. A flood wipes it out. Or, 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 or they get invaded and, and overrun by another group of people. Not unlike being invaded and overrun by a, a virus that we've all just been through. Or invaded and overrun by something that just seems to demolish. And, and, and groups then end up moving from, from large groups, well, in, in the Jewish world, from the temple into the synagogue, which was a tent, or the tabernacle, rather. The tabernacle, which was a tent that they could pick up and take with them wherever they went. So they still had their temple. In, in, um, in the Indian and the Native American world here in this country, it was from the mound cities, which were very complex, large communities. And when, when disease wiped them out, they went from cities to small villages along the creeks, and hence the Creek Indians in this part of the country. And on and on it goes. I think what's happening for us, what, what is, part of the power of that remnant is that they find those important things and, that matter at the deeper level and hold on to them and teach them and bring them forward. They aren't, the teaching's not lost, the truth is not lost, they just move into smaller groups. And I really think that's what's happening with our whole country right now, after COVID, we are moving to smaller groups like us who are building a really tight community of people who love and care and support each other. And we have to let go of that notion that it has to be a big building in order to matter, that it has to be a certain number in order to matter. What we're doing is so important and so valuable for carrying forward this idea of one idea, one mind, one heart, one love, and the power and freedom of each of us to transform our lives accordingly. This is what I think it's all about, whether we're in a big building, a little building, or no building. So thank you for letting me kind of go off on my soapbox here on the end, and, uh, and let's see what uh, Vance has to say to us. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Bob. Mm. So in that idea, Following up with that idea, we are going to be online for the next six weeks until the 8th of January when we expect to return to this space, new, revitalized in the new year. Um, so looking forward to that. And we are a prosperous center. So I want to take that with us into our affirmation of prosperity where you can click on the QR code or you can go to www.cslmidtown.com slash donate. It'll take you right to the donation site. So if you will say our affirmation of prosperity with me. I live in a universe of abundance. As I freely and joyfully give, I join in the divine flow. And all that I share with life returns to me multiplied abundantly. And so it is. Turn it to Dr. Bob for mm -hmm. some final announcements. Thank you. So next week, uh, Reverend Cynthia 
Paulson will be here and uh, be speaking. She won't be here in this building. She'll be here online, as will I, I and some others. We will, well, we'll be having the celebration as usual. We are not stopping anything except our in-person meeting, and we're going to miss hugging and seeing one another. But uh, right now, I think with the holidays coming, it's a good time for a little break. The, um, uh, I wanted to give another shout-out to April Bates, one of our members from uh, Tampa area, from St. Petersburg, actually. She is an artist who does artwork on fabric, and she did this. Yes, pretty awesome, isn't it? And this was, this was a coat that had gotten kind of faded and stained and, and needed to be either passed on to someone else or refurbished. And so she took it and turned it into something beautiful. And I'm so pleased with it. It's just, it, it, if you get close to it, you can feel the, her, the energy of love and light that she puts into it. So um, see you again back here in person on January the 8th. Meanwhile... See you next week. Let's join together in our closing affirmation. Here we have it. I leave this place now knowing something better than I knew before. I go forth into the world with a heart full of love and a mind full of good sense. I look at the world in a greater way knowing I have within me everything I need to create the life I desire. I give thanks for this understanding, and I am grateful for the spirit of life that lives through me. And so it is.